0: This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion billion? That's a di- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe, turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products, they have a nice Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's the podcast where me and my brother John talk about stuff and we answer your questions and we give you dubious advice and it's fun. We also share all the news from Mars, which is a
1: cold dead rock distant from the sun, and AFC Wimbledon, which is the white hot center of America's most popular sport.
0: And uh, we usually start out this podcast with a poem from my brother John.
1: Actually, we usually talk about how we're doing. How are you, Hank?
0: Oh, is that really? I don't know. I don't know how the podcast works. I'm good. You know what I just did, John? Do you know what I just did like moments before this podcast began? Did you get a new refrigerator? No. Better than that. Is your refrigerator
1: fixed? That's what that's what the world wants I to know. I
0: ate pesto that was taken out of my fixed refrigerator. <laughs>
1: Congratulations on having fixed your refrigerator and being able to enjoy pesto. In personal news, uh, today is day 29 of my 30-day elimination diet, uh, which means that tomorrow I can begin to reintroduce uh, food groups to find out what I'm allergic to that's causing my eosinophilic esophagitis. At the very least, um, along the way, I have learned that many of the things that I I thought were required for living— Uh, turn out not to be, and that in fact you can survive without dairy and wheat and soy and essentially everything that makes food taste good.
0: Yeah, I bet you can't have pasta, huh? I have
1: not been able to have pasta in some time. Um, Would you like a poem for today? It's kind of on the topic, now that I think about it.
0: Oh, it's a a pesto-related poem?
1: It's a poem related to consumer goods, um, and pesto would have been, you know, pesto is essentially a consumer good. Um, It's uh, Today's poem Is actually a request Hank uh, Luis Oh Oh, my goodness Long time listener To uh, Dear John and Hank Requested this poem uh, Well not that long time Yeah long time No he's listened To all 11 episodes Um, He requested this poem uh, The world is too much With us by William Wordsworth, a uh, great British romantic poet, William Wordsworth, and this is a, a great example of, uh, of his poetry. The world is too much with us, late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away, a sordid boon the sea that bears her bosom to the moon, the winds that will be howling at all hours and are upgathered now like sleeping flowers. For this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not. Great God, I'd rather be a pagan suckled in a creed outworn, so might I, standing on this pleasant lea, have glimpses that would make me less forlorn, have sight of Proteus rising from the sea, or hear old Triton blow his wreathed horn. William Wordsworth, uh, expressing concern about our relationship with nature and our obsession with consumer goods, way back
0: in like 1808. I guess uh, I, I guess we have less to concern ourselves with if, if it's been a concern so long that it must not be a real concern, right? I
1: don't think that's how concerns
0: work. But um, <laughs> I, I do
1: think that Wordsworth would be alarmed uh, by the proliferation of inside culture. Um, but sadly, I have to say that as much as I enjoy a good William Wordsworth poem, inside culture is my favorite kind of culture.
0: John, I have a question for you on the subject of poetry. Uh, sure. Why do poems yeah. sound like poems? We don't talk like that in any other situation, except when poeming. Uh you know what I mean. There's a way that you talk when you're when you're uh, reading a poem out loud. Not you, but a person. All people talk this way when, when poems are being read. Yeah. You sort of have to, like like you have well, to emphasize I, the syllables more and make the make the things sound the way that they should it's like it's kind of like performing a musical piece except that there's a lot more room for improvisation
1: well i think you well there's lots of room for improvisation with some music pieces but i think you've hit upon uh precisely what it is which is that uh, poetry is rhythmic uh poetry is musical you know and so um uh not all not all poetry but lots of it is and so i try to reflect when i'm reading um you know what i think the meter of the poem is and the most common meter in english is is iambic right where it's da doot da doot da doot mm-hmm. da doot da doot that's iambic pentameter um the world is too much with us late and soon um that's the first line of that Wordsworth poem. And uh, I don't know exactly why we use iambic pentameter in English poetry, except that it sounds good. Um, that da-do, 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 Something about it uh, mm-hmm. just fills our little heads with delight in the same way that, um, you know, I think, I think certain kinds of music do. So that's my theory about it. But uh, when I'm reading a poetry that isn't in iambic pentameter, like if I'm reading, uh, you know, a little bit of... Uh, Walt Whitman's Song of Myself, for instance, I, I would go in a totally different direction. Like, like let me, uh, let me give you the first stanza of uh, Song of Myself, okay? I celebrate myself and sing myself, and what I assume you shall assume, for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. So I, I feel like that's a very different poetry reading voice than you have when you're
0: reading... You know, some some uh, old words worth. No? I disagree. It sounds the same to me. It sounds it's it sounds in the same way that it sounds different from normal human speech. It sounds the well, same. Well, I think it's supposed to be it's, elevated. You know, it's, I think it's it, supposed to be elevated yeah, human yeah, speech. Yeah, and it's just, it has like Yeah. It has I and and I think the question is, could you read that in a way that doesn't sound like reading a poem? Or is it the poem itself that sounds like a poem?
1: Uh, I mean I think a lot of um I think a lot of poetry Uh, you know does want to sound like heightened language I think some doesn't you know like Frank O'Hara is having a coke with you Um, you know that poem
0: right Uh, Mm, no but uh, but but I I can feel it (laughs) all you're just trying to get me to
1: avoid reading you some Frank O'Hara and I don't blame (laughs) you Um, or uh, you know what about uh, what about some light verse like uh, you know Dorothy Parker um, you know, like her poems, they still sound like uh, right, right. They still, you know, Dorothy Parker poems still sound like uh, poetry, but you know, they're making fun of the way that poetry uh, sounds. If that makes sense, so I think sometimes there's self consciousness right.
0: about it. But well, what if, what if, what if you just take "Song of Myself" and you just say it like words? Like, I celebrate myself, and I sing myself, and what I assume you shall assume for every atom belonging to me is. As good belongs to you.
1: Nope, you still sound like you're reading poetry to me. I don't think there's any way to avoid it because the language is is precise and the language is chosen, and it has a rhythm to it, right? I mean, you could sort of like tap out good poems, and like I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. Like uh, you can tap out any great sentence um, in 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 literature, right? Like uh, the the first sentence of, uh, of of Great Gatsby in my in Wha- my young. Is there
0: Uh, maybe a better reading of Song of Myself of most poems that isn't the way that we read them because we sort of get caught up in the way of reading poems that sounds like poem reading? No, because I think you have to uh, acknowledge the heightenedness of the language and the the specificity of the language. But I don't,
1: I think your underlying concern is maybe that people, when they're reading poetry, get too obsessed with line breaks. And I think that's absolutely true. Like, uh, You should try insofar as possible to read a poem, I think, anyway. as if you were reading, like, uh, you know, as if you were reading aloud. Um, But, you know, and the line breaks are are only there to give you, like, the briefest of an eye pause rather than the pause of, like, a comma or something. But I don't know. I'm not an expert in poetry, Hank. I am just a guy who read you a great Wordsworth poem that you should have enjoyed more than you did.
0: I did. No, here's the thing that's happening, I think, with Dear Hank and John and my uh, being forced to listen to a poem every week is that I'm starting to think more about poetry and about what it is about poetry that sort of rubs me the wrong way. And now, and, and like there are lots of poems that I enjoy. Like I, you know, more modern stuff is always more enjoyable to me, I think because it's made for, you know, like me and people who are alive right now. And so it requires a little less to like, there's a little a bit lower of a barrier to entry. Uh, like I like Watsky's poetry, for example. Uh, but I, uh, I I think that a lot, like a lot of it is the pretension and and the way that we perform poetry sort of does elevate it in a way where I'm just like, oh, I can't like, it's like people talking about how, like about like the, the notes of raspberry and and twists of lemon in a glass of wine when i'm like you know what this tastes like it's freaking grapes it's grape flavored alcohol let's get over it and I and I yeah, just... but I
1: think that's I, I think you're maybe not giving enough credit to like the validity of other people's passions and interests. So as a as a counter I would say that like uh, a lot of people find the language of science or the language of mathematics to be uh, very off putting and to be very alienating. Uh, however, um, that language exists for the purpose of specificity and for the purpose of accuracy. And so, if someone's trying to, you know, accurately map something from inside of human experience or accurately map a relationship between uh you know uh contemporary human consciousness and the natural world uh, you know you need specific language to do that and so i don't uh I, i just as I think that there's nothing inherently wrong with someone saying that certain wine tastes better than others um, or trying to find out what it is about that wine that tastes better than others. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the sort of heightened language of poetry. But I will try my, next week to find a poem that you will enjoy, uh, that is unpretentious and is
0: read in a way that does not sound like <laughs> poetry. Deal? I, I Deal. I, and I don't want you to think that I'm criticizing you and I don't want the poetry to think that I'm criticizing it. I just, uh, just in the same way that when I'm talking about science, I like to do it in a way that will be interesting to the maximum number of people and, and lower those barriers to entry and, and make it yeah. less alienating. I think that there's ways to do that with poetry and that, that people who are into yeah, poetry should Yeah, that's why I picked a very
1: that. accessible Wordsworth poem instead of one of
0: the more <laughs> difficult ones. Sorry about that. <laughs> Oh. Well, let's say, let's do some questions, John. Does that sound good to it you? It sounds fine. I think,
1: increasingly, that uh, the way that I wanted you to feel about AFC Wimbledon is instead the way that you're starting to feel about poetry, um, which is extremely <laughs> unfortunate, uh, because I just wanted to read a poem to sort of, like, set the mood, and now I have to read a poem and then defend it every week for 20 minutes. Our first question comes from Zara, or possibly Zara, who writes, Dear John and Hank, can you find some way to prove that my life is not a big crazy experiment and that all the people I interact with are nothing but actors and everywhere around me is one big artificial movie set and that the real world is completely different to the one I think I am living in now, period? Which is not really a question because it ends with a period, but I, I appreciate the sentiment. Um, Because for many years, I believed exactly that. Uh, When I was a child, I believed that I was the only real person and that Hank was an alien and my parents were aliens and that the (laughs) entire world um, that I knew uh, existed only to sort of uh, entertain and distract me because I was the only real human in this very complicated, like, alien uh, play about what would happen to a human if you did various things to them. Um, So
0: I'm very... (laughs) simple. Do you you think that that comes from... Do you think that that comes from a place of, uh, of like just just knowing a lot more about yourself, and 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 like you know the experience of the self is is a much richer experience than the experience of the other, and so, it do, is that where that like I think a lot of people sort of like have this thought at one point in their lives, right? Yeah.
1: So uh, there's a bit of a, a word for it, right? Solip, solipsism, um, the idea that like oh, okay. uh the self is. You know, myself is the only thing or the only self that can be known to exist, and that I should uh, act out of that um, out of that belief. Like that's a that's a you know big idea in, in Greek philosophy, and then moving moving forward as well. Um, I, it's very difficult to uh, is it prove a negative or disprove a negative. It's very you know it's very difficult to 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 prove um, that that's not true. However, um, I don't think that it is true, and I think like one of the central uh, facts of being a person who is alive in a world with other people uh is that you have to have faith that other people are as real as you are um and that their experiences are as real as yours that their grief is as real as yours um because otherwise uh you will end up acting in a way that puts you further from uh You know further from connection to people um so it is a leap of faith to imagine that other people are actually people and not some kind of like complicated experiment but um it's a leap of faith that makes a lot of sense uh it is the far more likelier scenario for starters
0: yes and i yes certainly i'll also say that it would be very very unusual for Hank and John Green to have done a 10-year-long video blog project so that we could play this one very small part in the life of Zara.
1: Well, I mean, it would be unusual, except not from Zara's perspective, because from Zara's perspective, essentially the only thing that's ever verifiably happened are things that happened to Zara, right? so there is no there is no world outside of zara to zara there and that's kind of the challenge of being stuck inside this prison of consciousness that like my consciousness is the only one that i'll ever have my eyes are the only eyes i'll ever see out of i'll never know what it's like to be someone else i'll never be able to inhabit another person's mind and like i don't want to minimize the size of that challenge because i think it's the greatest challenge that humans face but i do think that the responding to that challenge by saying like oh these po- these people probably aren't real or i can't verify that they're real so you know screw them i think that's the wrong response right.
0: yeah um so the answer is uh can we prove it no but it is the case everybody's just their own person
1: yeah as much as i can't prove it i am still sure of it I, that said there are a bunch <laughs> of philosophers who have ostensibly disproved solipsism there are others who still argue for it but uh not not so many but yeah i don't i think the right way to go about the world is to assume that other people are probably people who don't exist purely for your uh amusement and or edification
0: Alright, we have another question. This one is from Christy, uh, who asks, Dear Hank and John, It's occurred to me that for the last few years I've always been between places. I live in places temporarily, at university or my parents' house. I travel between them as well as around the country to see my friends. Either due to a restless nature or reading too much Kerouac, I want change and new things, feeling that I need to be moving. What is home? Is it a place? Is it an environment? Do you reach a point in life when you find home? and how do you know when you found it? Ah, dang.
1: Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I don't think everybody reaches a point in their lives when they find home, and I don't think everyone needs to. Uh, I... Have an artist friend for instance um who's in her 40s and uh was born in afghanistan and lived for most of her childhood in afghanistan but uh but doesn't you know have a permanent residence now and also doesn't particularly want to have one she spends a lot of time in the u.s and a lot of time in canada and some some of the time in afghanistan and she isn't seeking uh permanence in the way that i would seek it uh but that said I remember that feeling of restlessness and, uh, having read a little bit too much Kerouac. And, um, uh, it took me a long time before I felt at home, but now that I do, um, which is, it's almost like something that you see in retrospect where you, at least for me, where I'm like, oh, I guess this is home because I've lived here a long time and I don't want to move anymore. (laughs) Uh, and once I found it, I, 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 I've been very reluctant to leave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, uh. Yeah, I also feel very at home in the place where I am, but I also uh, empathize with Christy in that sometimes, you know, I do love to experience new things and I do love to do things. I also love to sit and stay at home and do the thing that I normally do and have have a routine. Um, And uh, I think that what this boils down to is the idea of, I mean, maybe not, but I've been thinking about this a lot, the idea of normal, the idea of, of, the, of the regular, and having, and and there's sort of, you know, there's a push in my life, and I think in a lot of people's lives, to avoid that, to be weird, to try new things, and especially when you're young, I think that there's sort of a mutagenic force of youth in culture, and that's an important part of that, uh, is, is like this desire to do things differently. Um, but then when you settle into to the normal and you find a normal that really works for you and it might not be society's normal well, hopefully it is if of course it isn't exactly society's normal and it may be very different from society's normal but the normal that works for you and and of course that normal can change from day to day and year to year can be a really uh, wonderful thing <laughs> as 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 yeah much as, i kind of
1: think that it's underrated yeah. as you know hank i believe that stability in general is underrated um both political and social stability uh are underappreciated because uh we're always fomenting revolution uh but um yeah i quite i I quite like normal but there is a wonderful like uh friction to you know life before uh you settle into a normal Mm -hmm. um where lots of good and interesting things can happen uh but i also found that time of my life to be very stressful yes like, there was this constant, deep-down, gnawing fear um, of not having a safety net, of not knowing who my people were, uh, for lack of a better term, like, you know, not knowing who I could count on day-to-day, and, uh, you know, not not having a great understanding some days of, like, you know, what my bed was even going to look like. I've had the same bed for 12 years. Uh, <laughs> that to me is the definition of home. <laughs> home is that bed that I've had for 12 years that like has, you know, Sarah shaped and John shaped dents in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, my 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 definition of home is is comfortable normalcy. As as much as my high school's self and college self would hate that
1: i was gonna say somewhere 17 year old hank is spitting on 36 year old hank <laughs> yeah our next question is from megan who writes dear john and hank i've been a nerd fighter since 2007 thank you for sticking with us megan and i am beginning my first job as a middle school english teacher in two weeks i moved from upstate new york to southern maryland for this opportunity, and i'm very nervous Uh, That's because you're not in the normal period yet. You're in that terrifying, difficult, (laughs) but exciting pre-normal period. I want to cultivate a love for reading and writing within my students while also performing to the high standard I've set for myself. How can I balance rigor with my joy in my job? That's a great question. And in general, Hank, do we have any advice Mm. for a new middle school teacher? Uh, The only thing that I would really say, Megan, is that you are doing God's work uh, with God's people. Um, (laughs) God's people, of course, being middle school students. Um, and that I am, uh, deeply and permanently in your debt, as is the entire United States of America, uh, for the hard and good work that you are about to start doing with middle school students. And, uh, a special, a special message to the middle school listeners out there, uh, be nice to your teachers. They're trying hard. And, um, As you can see right there, they are maybe just as scared as you are. Maybe not just as scared, but quite scared. Um, So I think you'll be fine.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just like that you're asking difficult questions like that, like wanting to cultivate... cultivate appreciation while also wanting to to you know get good stuff out of your out of your pupils um that's what that's ex- that's exactly the balance that you have to find and and I having never been a middle school teacher cannot help you with that uh but uh the fact that you are asking it shows that you you know that you care And that's probably the number one thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, my only other piece of advice to Megan would be to find good mentors, people who are better teaching mentors than John and Hank Green, um, who know absolutely nothing (laughs) about teaching. So I'm sure at your school there will be uh, good mentors for you. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure once you're there, it'll feel normal. You probably are there by now, by the way, since we're answering your question belatedly. And probably everything is going fantastically. But, um, yeah, find good mentors. That's always uh, my advice to anybody starting out in any career.
0: And, and I also uh, want to say, like, people enjoy being mentors. It's, a lot of times it feels like it's a one-sided thing and you're, like, asking a great deal of, of a person. But if you find someone who you really respect and you like the way that they do their work, um, people will often enjoy sharing that because... because If they're doing a good job, it's because they love it and they're passionate about it and probably think a whole lot about it and want opportunities to talk about it.
1: Today's episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Enthusiastic Mentors. Enthusiasticmentors.com, a website where you can find a mentor who wants to be a mentor, not some person who feels like they got tricked into it. A real, proper, enthusiastic mentor. Enthusiasticmentors.com, a website built in the future
0: Uh, probably tomorrow, the day after, by Hank Green. (laughs) Today's episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Reading Too Much Kerouac. Reading Too Much Kerouac inspiring restlessness and change in generations of students and humans before they realize that really there's a lot of pleasantness about just sitting around and watching Netflix with people you love. Today's episode of Dear Hank and John is brought
1: to you by Poetry Written After 1980. Poetry Written After 1980, the
0: only kind of poetry that hank thinks is for him <laughs> today's episode of dear hank and john is brought to you by the truman show and the matrix which uh have reinforced this idea of solipsism apparently it was a word that is uh really old did i just teach you a word yes you not i know, know i did solipsism? not know that word i'd heard that word i did not know what it meant wow and and, I, and everybody thinks that these ideas are so new but they are So we all know there
1: are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name-brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc. The place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank.
0: All right, we got another question. This question is from Blake, who writes, Dear Hank and John, I'm a transgender man, which in my case means my parents had one son and one daughter, but now two sons. This also means that my brother now has a brother. My dad and brother, not my mom, have been very supportive of my transition and refer to me as their son and brother. My question is, how do I brother son? I feel like there is a set of skills or a way of being that I don't understand. It isn't necessarily about gender roles, I'm not concerned with that, I won't be able to bond over similar interests or anything, but being a brother and son still feels different. I am in my early twenties and my brother is in his late teens. What does being a brother mean to you, and is it in any way defined by gender or sex? How do I operate as a brother and son, both in public? and in private?
1: That's a big question. It sounds to me like you already are a brother and a son, Blake. So mm-hmm. uh, you're probably doing it right um, merely merely by doing it. Yeah. Uh, I, I always encourage people to like reach out to other people in the trans community and other people who've had similar experiences um, who you can find via social networks or, um, or in real life uh, in uh, meetings. And uh, but I think uh, my experience as a brother is that, um, you know, being a being a brother or being a son means, uh, you know, trying to be a good person in a relationship, which is not that gendered. No. I don't think. Yeah. I don't know, though. I've never been a daughter or a sister.
0: I But I would say that, like, there's, uh, you know, probably as many ways to be brothers and sons as there are brothers and sons. And, and everybody does it differently. But the thing that they have in common is is appreciation and love and respect for the rest of their family and and compassion you know like that stuff and so in a lot of ways i i think that you have become a brother and son just by being like just as everyone else has you 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 do the thing you know and if your family knows that you love you love them then you're doing the thing right um do you love me hank ah come on
1: All right, we got a question from Julie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was raised in a cult where we couldn't read outside books. I don't know what outside books are. Uh, yeah, um, I do. It's But that sounds oh. like the, the, the vast majority of yes, books. Yes, correct. Uh, I always loved to read, but was only allowed a very limited amount of material. I left the church a couple of years ago, and I constantly hear people talking about all the books they were required to read in high school, and I wish I could have had a high school reading list. Instead, I was attempting to teach homeschool uh, to my younger siblings, which was a disaster. My question is, what books would Be good to read in order to better fit into this new world I have discovered outside the confines of the one I was raised in? That is a fascinating Hmm. question, Julie. Yeah. The first short story I ever wrote, Hank, was about a kid. Uh, I was in high, well, the, like the first serious short story I wrote when I was in high school uh, was about a kid um, who'd only been allowed to read the Bible and had been homeschooled. And all of the language that he had was the language of the King James Bible. That's That was the language that had been spoken to him. Um, and then he mm. found himself, you know, in, in in a world where the King James Bible and quotes from the King James Bible and stories from the King James Bible were not the only quotes and stories and language that were used, and it was quite <laughs> overwhelming to him. It's it, it wasn't a bad idea for a story. The execution was, of course, just epically terrible. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's tremendously challenging to try to uh, live in a world where the sort of common cultural references are very different from the common cultural references uh, of your own experience or of your own childhood.
0: Yeah, I... At the same time, like I, I wouldn't necessarily be searching for the books that, uh, that are going to help you as, like associate with other people and, and understand their references. I, you might just be looking for the books that you're going to enjoy the most. What, so what I would do is just pick a bunch of classics of a bunch of genres and, and find, find the things that you might be into.
1: Right and, yeah. And when
0: I say classics I mean from from like today, you know, The Fault in Our Stars being an important I would say classic uh,
1: you know you, you should read. You want to start with a book like The Fault in Our Stars, that's kind of a contemporary classic. And then um but you want to you want to read more broadly, so you also want to include for instance like a great boarding school novel like Looking for Alaska or a good sort of like comic road trip novel like An Abundance of Catherines. Um really between the Bible and the works of John Green, you should be pretty well set. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, yeah. uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that you can't, you can't try to read in a systematic way to like catch up or to be able to, uh, you know, like, converse at cocktail parties because everybody everybody's read different stuff and that's good and you it, it's good to be able to talk about books that other people haven't read and, and maybe get them excited about them I think it's good to have you know different kinds of reading experiences um, I will tell you the, the, the five books that I read in high school for school that mattered the most to me and then Hank will do the same thing. Uh, Number one for me, uh, Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison completely changed my life. Number two, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Number three, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Number four, The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. And number five, Angels in America by Tony Kushner. Those are my five books that I read in high school English classes that had the biggest impact on me. I feel bad about excluding you know, Whitman and uh, the entire American uh, canon and Shakespeare and Wordsworth and Theodore Dreiser and whoever else. But that's those those are the five that really mattered to me that I read in English class.
0: John, do you want to know a secret that I don't know if I've ever told anybody? Yes. I didn't read any books in my high school English classes. Are you
1: serious? None?
0: I don't think I, I finished... Any book, wow, really? Yeah, what about like Romeo
1: and Juliet or something that's pretty, pretty short? Mm, that's not a book, and no, I mean, they printed in book form. Uh, you didn't, well, did you not have good high school English texts? Like, did you not get, to- I
0: did have, I. I, I had good high school English teachers and I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed exercises in high school English i I have very mild dyslexia and I read very slowly and and when what would happen is like I would be assigned you know the three chapters for that night. I'd read the three chapters and then the next night I'd have to read another one and I just couldn't keep up and by the time I was behind, I was just behind and re- reading the Cliffs notes mm. so i I didn't and I didn't enjoy any of the books because I was reading them to to try and churn through them as fast as possible. I did not enjoy a book until right. I read Jurassic Park.
1: Mm, well, that's an enjoyable book, no question about it. I remember reading Jurassic Park in high school and really enjoying. Yeah, it.
0: so i i I enjoyed Jurassic Park. That was the first book that I read all the way through, and uh, like the first like adult book. And I uh, and it and it did inspire me to then go out and read longer books. That took me, you know, I'd probably in the beginning of, of this process would spend a, a month or two reading one book. And like, I just couldn't go faster than that. So that's what I did. And, and in class, it was like, you, like we're reading these, these like 10 books this semester. I just was never going to be able to do that. What
1: else did you read uh, in high school uh, that was book length that, that you liked or that you finished? Can you remember anything?
0: Uh, I read The Mars Trilogy um by kim stanley robinson and uh and that that was huge for me um and i honestly until college don't think i i may not have read i must have read some other books but i don't i don't know man it took me a long time to become a reader and now i read just cr- like you know i i still read slowly but i read a lot
1: yeah you're a better reader than i am now um
0: well yeah you have you have uh <laughs> the every everyone who has children will sometimes look at me and like touch me softly on the arm and say what's it like to just read
1: <laughs> it is true that you don't have as much time to read um, but I could choose to read a lot more than I do because you know at, at the end of the day after the kids go to sleep. I often watch television instead of reading Yeah, so yep. Um, I could definitely make better choices or different choices I'm, I'm not I don't know if it's actually better. There's some pretty good TV shows on these days, but um, that's really interesting that explains
0: Oh oh. Um- um a, a book that was huge for me in that change that I read in high school was uh T.H. White's book about what what is it what's it called? Uh
1: The Once and Future King?
0: Uh Yes, that one. Uh,
1: I never read it actually, but I bought a copy once and cut a gigantic hole in it and put a uh, a ring inside of it for Sarah's uh birthday.
0: Oh. I remember you doing that and and actually I remember looking at that hole in that book and feeling like you had uh, burnt an American flag, basically uh,
1: Whatever, you buy a book It belongs to you, you can do whatever you want with it Um <laughs> Uh, That's really interesting. It also explains your continuing fascination with Mars, that, like, it was these three Mars books that had such a huge impact on your reading life. Um, It almost makes me sympathetic to your position that Mars is of anything other than passing interest.
0: Well, I may also point out that I'm not the only person who uh, is fascinated with Mars. And, And, in fact, I would like to see an analysis of movies about outer space versus movies about football the game played with the foot not football the game played with the hands um, and and see which there are more movies about i bet there's more movies about space well John. i'm sure
1: that there are more movies about outer space because it's inherently uh, far more dramatic special effects budgets are higher people like to go to the theater to see stuff blow up almost never do things blow up in soccer matches? Only
0: when something goes very wrong with the flare in the stands. All right, we got another question. This one is from Aaron, who asks, Dear Hank and John, if you could add any one mandatory course to the high school curriculum in the United States, what subject would you focus
1: on? I love this question. Great question. Hank, let's answer together. Ready? Three, two, one, computer programming. Mars. <laughs> <laughs> um... I do feel like not enough American high school students are educated in the field of fourth-tier English soccer, which is one of the reasons that AFC Wimbledon doesn't have (laughs) as large a following here as I would like. Um, But I think that Mars and AFC Wimbledon should be off the list for future courses. I really think computer programming. I think um, understanding how basic the basics of how computers work and how we get them to do stuff with and for us is extremely important to contemporary life. Uh, so that would be my vote, Hank.
0: I like that a lot. Um, I I feel I, I feel strongly in 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 that regard as well I think that that you know it is offered in a lot of schools and uh, and I hope that lots of students are taking computer programming even if you're not going to become a programmer it's just a really important thing to know I have taken computer programming courses and I'm not a programmer but it is very helpful to me in my life to know what is possible and to be able to communicate with programmers Uh, so that's uh, great Uh, I, I you know just to go in a different direction I feel like there needs to be a course on how to live yeah uh like uh, how taxes work yeah. and uh personal finance and and things like that uh i i would really like for that to exist and then i think that there should be a course on uh critical thinking that is just called mm. bs detection 101 and i don't know i feel like that's just something that isn't we just, you know, it, it's a post. Like it seems like it should be something that is in all of the courses, but somehow we've lost it.
1: Yeah, I would, I would say that that, I would say critical thinking needs to be integrated into existing courses rather than made into its own course. But I don't disagree with you about uh, what used to be called home economics or home ec um, uh, being really, really relevant to people's lives. Like knowing how to, uh, you know, like not overdraw your checking account is very important. And I did not really know how to do it until I was about 28.
0: Yeah, right. And like, and the the consequences of it and like just, and, and understanding the difference, like what it really means when you have a monthly bill and, and like, and what it yeah. like, and and all of the different ways that being, that not having money costs money and how to avoid them. Yeah, Because I just, I think that there's a, there's a huge... There's a whole industry in America that's based on people not understanding how money works, and it just—it's it, a great industry for making poor people poor and rich people rich, and it makes me very, very angry. And I don't know why it's not something that is taught. And and also, I would like that course to teach uh, how to vote.
1: Yeah, how to vote,
0: not not which person to vote for, but just how to but vote. But how to yeah un- like how to engage with the American political system. Yeah. And 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 that uh, no matter how much money you have, you has the, have the exact same number of votes as the richest person in the world.
1: Our last question for today, Hank. Uh, it comes from Iam, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, I just realized that Eam's name is not Eam, because his username yeah. is nope. I am Decadent. I don't think that person's name is Iam <laughs> Decadent. I think no, that person's not. name is something that is not." in their, uh, email address. Okay. Anyway, Ian writes, dear John and Hank, do you like cooking? Is there a go-to meal you have when you want to be fancy? What if you're tired, but don't want delivery? Thanks. And happy eating. First off when I'm, there is no such thing as me being tired and not wanting delivery. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Even when I'm not tired, I want delivery. Um,
0: Yeah, I do like. Now that you've mentioned it, I want delivery right now. Yeah,
1: actually, come to think of it, why isn't there a pizza here? Oh, right, because I can't eat wheat or soy or dairy. Um, (laughs) The uh, go-to meal for me when I want to be fairly fancy is a nice piece of fish, uh, very simply grilled with cauliflower, uh, some nice kind of you know uh, baked cauliflower and uh very lightly boiled asparagus that's the perfect meal for me um but it takes a lot of work and i just as soon have pizza delivered
0: i think for us it's either uh like uh curry like masaman curry uh Mm -hmm. is, is sort of like the fancy if we want to spend some time um and then if if like i just want to eat and i don't And I like, honestly, if I don't want delivery, it's because I don't want to wait 30 minutes. And so it's something like, uh, like a tortilla with cold cuts and cheese microwaved. That's my Oh
1: God. That sounds
0: terrible. That's, that's like, I need food, food Mm. Mm. or just, or just a cold cut wrapped around a piece of cheese. Oh God.
1: Or, or two bananas. <laughs> yeah, two bananas sounds more reasonable to me. I have to say that I've had to plan <laughs> my meals very carefully over the last 30 days because I can't eat any normal foods. And that's been really helpful uh, to me to know every morning what I'm going to eat that day, to know what breakfast, lunch, and dinner are going to look like and to know when I'm going to prepare them because I don't find myself in that situation where I'm super hungry and, uh, you know, have no idea what to eat and then have to like ransack the pantry in search of something to provide me with calories. Because every morning I'm like, oh, this morning I will have spinach. And then later today <laughs> I will have chicken and asparagus. And then in the evening I'm going to have, you know, salmon stir fry or whatever. Oh, God, it's been a long month. Um, hey, can we move on to the m- news from uh, Mars and AFC Wimbledon?
0: Let's do that.
1: Do you want to know the news? Do you, want to, do, you want to, do you want to know the news? Do you want to know the AFC Wimbledon news?
0: Okay, tell me the AFC you Wimbledon to, news.
1: Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Do you want to, We I, won a home I, game!
0: We did it! Oh good. Oh, that's very nice.
1: We beat Exeter City uh, at home. Uh, fans got to see a victory from the John Green stand, Hank. Uh, thousands of people sat in the John Green stand and, and watched an actual AFC Wimbledon victory, uh, beating Exeter City 2-1, Uh, And it was a beautiful game. The winning goal was scored by our uh, 21-year-old striker, Aziz, the new striker. Uh, He was was with the team last season, uh, scored seven goals this year, an expanded role, looking very promising, uh, very exciting. And, and, and Hank, currently five games into the season, AFC Wimbledon are 12th. In League Two, they are in 12th place. Uh, there are 24 teams in League Two. The bottom two get relegated, uh, and then the the top few uh, get promoted up to League One. Uh, 12th is is dead center mid table, very comfortable. Um, not a bad place to be right now. Uh, and hopefully if we can uh, put a string of results together, we'll be up nearer those uh, promotion places and we can dream of third tier English football. But it's too soon for that. It's, it's just one home victory, but uh, it was a good weekend.
0: That is amazing news. I'm am so happy for you. And and also for everyone because of how AFC Wimbledon is the most important sports team And institution in history. I
1: thought that you were just going to say sports team and I was going to have to correct you, but I appreciate your expansion. (laughs) (laughs) Hank, name another significant institution owned equal shares by every single one of its fans. You can't. Not even Nerdfighteria is owned by its fans.
0: No, I actually looked into doing that once. It turns out to be quite complicated.
1: I know, but AFC Wimbledon has overcome those regulatory hurdles because they actually care about their community, unlike some people. What's new (laughs) in Mars?
0: All right. uh, This week uh, on Mars, uh, well, really on Earth, a, uh, a slab of ice 130 feet thick, uh, that has persisted for tens of millions of years was located on the surface of Mars. It's the size of like Texas and California put together. It's a very big, thick slab of ice that was probably deposited as snowfall tens of millions of years ago. And it has. it is very odd that it has persisted for so long. We don't understand why and how it has happened. And it is, uh, you know, we knew that there was ice on the surface of Mars. There's ice all over the place. Uh, But there were mostly, we were just thinking that there were these big thick slabs at the poles and that all of the water around the rest of the planet would have uh, evaporated into the atmosphere. But it looks like that a lots Uh, has persisted all around the planet and it's sort of leading us to understand that Mars has had a much more variable and and peculiar climatic history than we expected Mm. and also it's pretty cool that there is so much dang water on this planet
1: so there's a lot of water on Mars right now yeah tons and Mars has had a more variable climate than we previously believed yeah were there dinosaurs on Mars? No. But that would have been high school Hank Green's ultimate book. It's Jurassic Park plus the Mars
0: trilogy. No, you know what would be that is if we were like, you know, it would be... It, we could make dinosaurs, but we've seen the Jurassic Park movies, so we're not going to put them on Earth. We know it would be a bad idea to put them on Earth, but... We're going to have
1: Jurassic Mars! Jurassic Mars! Jurassic Mars! Oh my God, Hank, we have a bonafide hit on our hands. Somebody call Steven Spielberg Jurassic Mars. We had Jurassic Park, we had Jurassic World, The logical next step, Jurassic Solar System, Jurassic Mars.
0: All right, John, you're the writer, so I expect to read a short story called Jurassic Mars within the next six months.
1: Mm, I'm pretty sure that that is a copyrighted idea, and they seem to protect that copyright pretty aggressively. Um, There's there's nothing copyrighted about the word Jurassic. Mm, I think there's something copyrighted about the idea of bringing dinosaurs back from the dead...
0: Nah. You don't think so? Nah. No way. All right,
1: that's then it's settled. We're, forget writing a short story. I'm a movie producer now, Hank. I have a I have a movie producing deal with Fox 2000. I'm going to make the movie Jurassic <laughs>
0: Mars. Do you think Spielberg will mind? <laughs> no. No, especially if it's really really uh surrealist and 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 crazy just stupid. To, Did you see Jurassic World? Uh, No, uh, uh, maybe it should be animated and it should be for kids, uh, but there should still be lots of blood and guts.
1: Jurassic Mars for kids. I mean, it's a great idea for a TV show. Dinosaurs on Mars is a fantastic <laughs> idea for any format. I cannot think of a format where dinosaurs on Mars wouldn't work. See, Hank, when you come up with, when you tell me the news from Mars, I try to use that to make your relationship with Mars even deeper and better. And when I tell you the news from AFC Wimbledon, you dismiss it. And that is the fundamental difference between I, us. I, I did everything generous, I
0: could to be supportive giving, this
1: time. Thoughtful, engaged sibling who is truly a collaborator and you are an underminer. You are trying to undermine my passion and the world's greatest institution owned by its supporters.
0: I did I did everything I could. I'll try to be better in the future.
1: Oh, Hank, what did we learn today other than uh, Jurassic Mars?
0: What do you, do you think that we could get uh, Kristen Bell to play Veronica Mars, the character, and solve a mystery involving dinosaurs on Mars?
1: You know, uh, there's always one step too far, and you took it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: We need to keep thinking. Like we've only had this, we've only had this dinosaur on Mars idea for like five minutes. Okay, let's not expect it to completely cohere yet. Okay. But it's okay. coming together. All right. I John. can feel it. I can feel the creative juices working. As soon as we go off the air of the podcast, I think you and I need to set up some meetings with Hollywood producers, and, <laughs> and it's just all dinosaurs on Mars all the time.
0: All right. Uh, Until then, John, what did we learn this time?
1: Well, we learned that uh, William Wordsworth is a good poet, whether Hank uh, likes him or not.
0: Uh, We learned that we don't know whether everyone else exists, but they probably do.
1: We learned that uh, being a good brother and a good son is uh, mostly a matter of uh, loving and being loved, even though Hank wouldn't say that he loves me.
0: Thank you for uh, spending some time with us. I'm Hank. That other guy is John. He's my brother. This podcast is uh, called Dear Hank and John, and you can send us questions at dearhankandjohn.com. Uh, this podcast is also uh, something that is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. The theme music is from Gunnerola, And as they say in our hometown, don't forget, forget to be to be awesome.
1: awesome. One other thing, Hank. You just said that you could send us questions via dearhankandjohn.com, which, oh, you can! You've created a website! Oh,
0: well, it doesn't
1: actually. Did I? Well, there's a dearhankandjohn.tumblr.com. It looks, uh, oh, nope, nope, that's a different thing. Yep, you, you can't submit questions via dearhankandjohn.com. You have to go to hankandjohn at gmail.com
0: confirm What is this? There's a dearhankandjohn.com
1: Yeah, it's a Tumblr where people write us really nice letters. Oh. It's really sweet. Oh yeah,
0: sweet. That's, that existed before this podcast did. Oh. It did.
1: Yes, we stole the idea well, we from them. we stole the
0: name from them. Different idea, same name. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, dear
1: Hank. Uh, probably in retrospect, maybe should have called the podcast Dear John and Hank. <laughs> I think dearjohnandhank.com is available. In fact, I'm going to register no. it now. <laughs>